Hi, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Christ is All podcast. If you have not heard by now, my new book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, has just released. You can go to 48laws.com. That's 48, the numbers, laws.com to check out a free sampler and find out all the ways you can order it. The book is in digital, print, and audio formats. Now today we're going to feature a number of interviews that I did on the book. Note, this is more of a behind the scenes conversation on the content as well as an expanding of some of the topics treated. So this is not a repeat of the book and God willing I plan to release more interviews in the future that delve deeper into the topics. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you get a copy of the book. God bless. Thank you for being with us. Priority Talk Radio. Frank, I think you were with us years ago, but it's been a while. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. I'm happy to be on. Yes, sir. You were with us. Um, it's been some years ago, uh, but uh, I, I followed you. I've uh, had several of your books over the years and uh, always uh, respected what you do, and uh, we're very grateful. Uh, well, we're glad to have you on today to talk about uh, spiritual power, uh, the book 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, Really neat book. You've got all 48 laws in here, broke one by one, and uh, short little chapters, 48 of them. And uh, I guess maybe some, we'll get into the topic, but I guess somewhat of a devotional book it could be, right? Yes, it can be, because the chapters are very short, they're digestible, they're Mm -hmm. accessible, and a lot of them are very practical. They give a lot of actionable steps on how to make it a reality in a person's life. Well, very good. Um, Okay, we're talking spiritual power, so define that for us. Yeah, so spiritual power is the energy of the Holy Spirit to alter situations, whether that's to heal or to deliver or to awaken or to transform human beings. It's basically the power or the anointing of God on a human vessel to carry out the Lord's will in in a person's life or in their ministry. And I believe that the key to effective ministry is God's power. If we are not serving with God's power, we are serving in the energy of the flesh. And the results will be short-lived, and it will not have eternal value. Not only that, but we'll end up burning out, rusting out, or fading out. (laughs) Uh, I'm from the charismatic world, and when people hear the phrase spiritual power, you know, they immediately think of zapping demons and doing signs and wonders and eating cucumbers, uh, as a friend of mine used to say. But that's not what this book is about. There are many books on the supernatural. This is on the power of God on all levels and in all areas. You know, even the simple business of sharing Christ with someone who's lost or um, trying to encourage someone. We need God's power in all those situations, or else it's just going to fall flat. And we will be doing it. Our default setting is to do it in our own energy, even though we may not realize it. So that's that's what spiritual power is, and, and that's why I wrote the book. Well, God's power, uh, the power of the Spirit, is something we all need in our lives. And uh, as you say, especially in ministry, uh, working in the flesh, uh, that doesn't get you very far. 
Uh, now, you, um, you've sort of spun off of this. People may be going, 48 Laws of Power. You sort of spun <laughs> off a, a secular book uh, named 48 Laws of Power, and you've got 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, right? That's right, yeah. Some years ago, this is about a decade ago, a friend of mine gave me a series of books on audio. And I was new to audiobooks. So on a long drive one day, I started listening to these books. And, you know, I, I never finished any of them. But, but one of them was called The 48 Laws of Power by somebody named Robert Greene. I never heard of the book, never heard of the author. Mm. And so I listened to about four or five chapters, and I was intrigued with the idea and the way he framed the book. And basically what he was doing is he was talking about how to leverage the selfish nature of human beings and their powers of manipulation to gain earthly power and to win, whether it's in work or relationships. And he reduced it to 48 laws. So that triggered an idea for me. <laughs> I thought to myself, what if we had a book like that, but on the laws of God's power? And I started to think of so many leaders who over the years have asked me questions about spoken messages they've heard me say, like how they would ask questions like, well, how did you bring that message with such power and passion without even looking at notes? Well, you know, what, what's behind the curtain? And so I thought, well, you know what? I will excavate my mind and heart on everything I've learned about God's power over 40 years and try to distill it into 48, which I did. <laughs> and to give it to God's people in a very digestible, easily accessible way. And so that's really what the book is. It's Somebody asked me, how long did it take you to write? And my answer is 40 years. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's often that way. So, Frank, this may be a redundant question, but do you feel like you got it all in the 48? No, and that's why at the <laughs> end of the book, there's a, uh, there's a page that goes into more and I have a, a link to a website. People have to get the book. They'll see the website, and they can get, uh, I think it's like five or six more chapters <laughs> yeah. that we couldn't fit into the book, as well as audio uh, messages and talks that I gave to leaders and in leadership pastors' conferences. And I, I want people to know this is not a book just for pastors, all right? Sure. Every Christian has a ministry of some kind, even if it's the simplest activity of sharing Christ with, with a friend. That's a ministry. And so this book applies not only to pastors and teachers and leaders, it applies to every Christian, because really the Christian life, if you view it properly, we're all on a mission trip. Our whole life is a mission trip. That's right. Because we're here in this world to bear witness to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the biggest things we struggle with that we need power is just an overcoming temptation. Uh, how do you address that in the book? Temptation is something we will never get rid of, all right? There's no such thing as overcoming temptation to the point where it just dissolves and you never have to be bothered with it. I think uh, Jesus Christ was the perfect example of this. I mean, he was tempted in all points, and that continued throughout the end of his life. So we can't get rid of it, but what we can do is dance with it. And in this book, I do talk about some of the principles to unlock the power of God that will allow us to to overcome in the moment. And there's various different ways to do that. It depends on what the temptation is, but I have a whole chapter on fasting, which really gets into this issue of if it's a temptation of the flesh, you know, a fleshly appetite, the power of fasting to break that thing and to weaken it. 
So it definitely does delve into that as well. And uh, there's also a chapter on the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. And that's really, I tell you what, at the end of the day, that is the secret to living the victorious Christian life. We cannot live it on our own, but Christ lives in us. And if we learn the secrets of how to live by his indwelling life, uh, which I talk a lot about, not Mm -hmm. just in this book, but in other books, to flip that switch so that it's not I, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians yeah. 2.20. Yeah. Well, outstanding. Yeah, temptation, and it's not a sin to be tempted. So it's going to be there. Um, I like the way you said it, though, uh, dance with it. Um, you know, that's a, I think that's a good way to say it. Um, Frank Bowl, our guest, let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side and have some more time to, uh, to visit with him. I, I want to ask you when we come back, Frank, give you just a second to think about it. Uh, maybe what what law did you cover in the book of the 48 that maybe you, you thought maybe this is the most neglected one of all let's talk about that when we come back on the other side it's priority talk radio Ooh. greg davis here with you with frank viola our special guest till the top of the hour frank real quickly uh, how do you suggest people get the book uh, off your website directly or amazon or what, what's best for you Oh, they can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere okay. where books are sold. But if they go to 48laws.com, they'll be able to get a taste test of the book and kind of test drive it, <laughs> if you will. Gotcha. And that's free. Okay, 48laws.com. That's right. Outstanding. Okay, 48 of these laws. And as I said, they're, they're pretty short chapters. And uh, so you can read these almost, I would think, devotionally. Um, uh, I, you know, you could read a few at a time. I, I think it's really good. It covers many of the, uh, the principles or, or, as you say, the laws of just uh, in, you know, walking with God and uh, having the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and that is the key to effective ministry, as we've talked about. Which one of these uh, 48, was there one along the way that you just sort of said, man, that's one that people, maybe that's maybe really one that's neglected. Uh, but was there one that maybe is more neglected? You know, that's a great question because it's going to hit the reader in different ways, uh, depending on the person, right? So some people, uh, I think law number seven is going to be huge. Leave the results with God. Mm. And lots of pastors and leaders, you know, they're obsessive about the results. You know, how am I doing? Am I making an impact? Do I still have my fastball? You know, they're looking at numbers on social media. And, uh, and that leads to discouragement, and that's law number eight, overcome discouragement. That's another thing that we dance with. We never can get rid of discouragement. If you're in ministry of any kind, yeah. discouragement is going to be part of it. But you have to learn to dance with it, and I give a prescription on how to do that. The law number two, do not be a people pleaser. That's a virus uh, that inflicts many, many leaders. Again, I get very practical on how, but I guess out of all of them, when I think of people in ministry— Law number four, it takes one to make one. The greatest ingredient to spiritual impact is not how much Bible knowledge you've acquired. It's not being trained on strategies, church growth, leadership principles, discipleship, how to evangelize. The greatest ingredient to your impact is your own transformation. Mm. It's not what you say. It's not what you preach or teach. It's who you are and what you've experienced that will determine if people are transformed or not. This is huge because so many you know, leaders, are, uh, they, get, they gravitate toward seminars and conferences that are designed to make them a better leader, right? But the fact is, the greatest impact you'll ever have in your ministry 
is your own transformation. You can take two people, and, and let's just say, if we can imagine it, they preach the same exact message verbatim, word for word. Now, for one of them, it falls flat. It dies. Nobody gets changed. Nobody's, you know, impacted by it. Right. The other one, people are jaw-slacked. The Lord grabs them by the throat in a way that stuns them with his glory. And they both preach the same message. The difference is one of them had more transformation and lived out what he or she was preaching while the other one did not. And that's a mystery, but it is, it's counterintuitive as well. But it takes one to make one is huge, and I, I wrote a lot about it in that chapter. Mm. Now, this is good, as you said, this is good for any Christian, um, and especially anyone who, uh, and we're all in leadership in some level, but especially for those who are in ministry leadership. Um, Frank, are, uh, are you finding that um, maybe uh, ministry staffs or ministry leadership teams, whether they're volunteer or vocational, are they taking this and using this book as, as a staff or as a team? Because I could see a lot of value in doing this book as a group. Absolutely. Well, it just came out, so time will tell, yeah. but the early adopters, the people who got uh, pre-launch copies, they're definitely making plans to do that because a lot of them are pastors and leaders. They want to do that. They want to take their, their congregation, particularly those who are on their leadership team, yes. through the book. The responses I have gotten so far from the early readers has been phenomenal. <laughs> One brother just told me he got it all, all three versions, digital, print, and audio, and he's going through it a second time. He was so impacted by it, and he's an influential leader hmm. in the Christian world. Well, and that I, was very humbling to me. I but agree with him. This, this is certainly the kind of book you could live in and uh, you could keep handy because, and you could mark it up with a different color pen every time you read it because uh, it really <laughs> is rich uh, in, um, in power, in spiritual power, and that's really what it's all about. Frank Viola, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, Uncommon Wisdom for Greater Ministry Impact, 48laws.com. We'll get you uh, the free resources and a look at it, and it'll also connect you to uh, Frank's uh, blog, Beyond Evangelical, very popular. And even as I was reading through it, I was thinking about a conversation that I just had with a young pastor who left the ministry. Uh, and really, some of the main reason why is because he was coming up to the reality of working in a pretty toxic leadership environment. And so I think even as I've read through your book, and as I've looked at a lot of these things, and, and just weighed them with that, and even thinking there's just a lot of pastors. Uh, I mean, I was on staff at a, at a large church. And by the time that I left, uh, so I was there for 10 years, there were, there were 50 staff members come and gone in 10 years. And so it just seems like there's a lot of, uh, turmoil that, that comes, uh, when, when spiritual power is not used in the right space. And so I think there's part of me that's just wondering too, like, what would you say to a pastor who's experienced, uh, sort of the abuse of spiritual power and the turmoil that comes from that? That's a big question because it cuts many different ways. Like, for example, why is it that some spiritual leaders become abusive, right? That's one angle of it. Another one is what can deter a person from becoming abusive? And then the other one is what you asked, how do you get a, a leader who has been, let's say, the subject of a mad, jealous, spear-wielding Saul throwing javelins <laughs> where your default mode is to, is to duck? I do have a chapter on that because, first of all, what I would say to someone like this is, number one, a lot of the structures that are in place 
in the Christian world actually give credence to and provide an environment for ministers to become abusive. Okay. So it's a systemic problem. And I've addressed that in some of my other books, the whole system and structure, because no human being is designed to have the kind of earthly human influence, the kind of power and the kind of prestige that comes to many ministers if they're in a certain system and if they're in a certain uh, environment. No human being can handle that. It's going to corrupt anybody. And so that's number one. There's a systemic element. The number two thing I would say to a young pastor who's been hurt by others is this is sort of difficult to get our uh, spiritual arms around, but it is this. God the Father did not sanction it. God the Father did not approve of it. God the Father does not joy in it. But I'll tell you what, God the Father was ultimately behind it. And if you could, as a Christian, get your, get your spiritual heart wrapped around the fact that my father saw this, he permitted it, and he is an expert at writing straight with crooked lines. And he used that Saul-David experience to bring brokenness into your life so that you can actually rise up and become a David. And the most spiritual people I have ever met the people who were used of God, and I'm not talking about they were operating on the energy of the flesh, they were operating on God's true power, were people who had a Saul in their life, and they survived Saul. They didn't become bitter. They didn't commit spiritual shipwreck and blame God. And they did not allow their souls to become poisoned by the hurt and the pain. They let the hand of God break them in that situation, even though the Lord himself didn't approve it. So the house of God is built on failure and pain. And it's interesting because when you study the life of David, you find that the very place that became the building site for the temple was the place where David made his biggest mistake and one of the places where he experienced the most pain. And so God's house, God's ministry is built on brokenness, and the Lord will use things that are totally outside his will, like an abusive leader, right? He will use the Saul to break the David so that David can become the man after God's own heart who actually is useful in building God's house. So those are some of the initial things I would say to the young pastor who's been victimized by that. And I do talk about this in the book as well. I, I, think, I think what you're saying is really helpful in framing just what comes after, right? And and there is an understanding of, you know, I think sometimes people really struggle with, well, well where was God when? And I think what's amazing is God in, in his goodness somehow takes, and this is what I'm hearing you say, is like he takes these things and really if we if we submit ourselves to to God's work in our lives, it actually become great places of strength and healing and even launch pads into further fruit, fruit, fruitfulness for the kingdom. And, and I think that that's, I think that's really helpful for, for, for pastors just in general. And even just to think about how, you know, there are people that I know I've hurt as a pastor and, 
you know, the good news of the gospel is that God somehow can transform that and he can transform me in that, you know, in, in the beautiful words of, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Um, and, and I think that, I think this, this also really leads really well into, into another question that, that, that Bob and I were thinking through is, you know, much of what you talk about is about leading others, but there's also a lot in your book about leading and caring for yourself. So this balance seems to be a tricky one to, to, to take. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a temptation for every person who is zealous to serve God to succumb to what I'm talking about is to serve the God of ministry over Jesus Christ himself. It's very easy in our zeal to serve and to help others to begin serving the God of serving God instead of and above the Lord Jesus himself to put it another way, slightly differently. So one of the key things that has to be sort of a gyroscope in our own lives is to ask ourselves the question, am I being satisfied with Jesus Christ? Am I knowing him and experiencing him in a way that satisfies my soul? And it is out of that overflow, really, because that's the engine that drives spiritual power. Out of that overflow, we minister and we serve others. And when that begins to ebb and draw back, then we know it's time. We have to take a break. We have to hit pause. We have to hit the brakes. And we have to spend some time with the Lord or with other brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, depending on your context, to begin to seek Him and experience Him. And and I'll use the term that comes out of the Gospels, begin to touch Him. And there are ways to touch the Lord. There are ways to know the Lord. I talk about some of it in the book. But I think that this is a great problem in the Christian world. I know for myself, when I came to the Lord as a young man, I was all about serving. I was zealous to give and to help other people. But it dawned on me, and and I had some experiences that made, made my eyes open to this, I really didn't know the Lord very well. And I find this to be true with many, many, many ministers by their own confessions, you know, because I I have masterminds where I work with a lot of pastors. When they really have been exposed to an unveiling of Christ like they've never seen before, never heard before, it kind of reveals the, uh, the poverty that's there. Like, I really don't know the Lord that well. And so sometimes these guys hit the brakes totally. And, and step back a bit from ministry until they really begin to explore what it means to touch him, to know him, to experience him. And that's the headwaters of spiritual power, true, real spiritual power. We have a lot of counterfeits that are confused for spiritual power, like, you know, natural charisma, for example. There are people who can speak eloquently. You know, they're like the Greek orators of the first century that wowed people. Paul Tarsus had to deal with that in Corinth. But spiritual power is something very, very different, and it can't be duplicated. Again, I get back to this business. It takes one to make one. But I think that we've been conditioned that as soon as you come to the Lord, you got to get busy. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep working it. You know what I mean? You're not doing enough. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I meet a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders that are just fried. They are burned out. I can only tell you this. If you come to know the Lord, and there are ways to do this in a way that's steady and consistent, and you're really touching him, then you have found a well that will never run dry. 
and you can go on and on in ministry because you're not operating out of your own natural power and your own natural soul life. You're operating from a totally different source. By the way, if you're going to step into the ministry, you have got to have super thick skin, okay? You're going to get mistreated. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get attacked. You're going to be misunderstood. It goes on and on. And I talk about this in the book. But the one that really stands out right now, and it has been for a number of years, is the one about co-working. And I'll tell you why. Co-working is in the bloodstream of the kingdom of God. And I have a whole chapter on it in the book. The problem is it's very difficult to find peers, true peers, who are willing to co-work. Now, I've done some projects together with a number of well-known authors. I've written three books with one of them. I've written one book with another. I, I wrote another book with a female author. But to be able to co-work in our time, most of my peers, they prefer to be Michael Jackson's rather than <laughs> members of the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, okay? And, and I'm somebody who's, you know, I, I'm Jimmy Page looking for John Bonham and John Paul Jones and uh, Robert Plant. I work great as a team, but there's a price to pay. It's a lot easier to, to be a solo act. And so I, I have a whole chapter where I pour my heart out about this, but I really see it as a problem because the kingdom of God is moving so slow in terms of advancement. And one of the primary reasons is many of the leading servants today are unwilling to co-work. And mm -hmm. part of the reason for it is jealousy, the fear of being overshined, outshined. Another one is the fear of diversity. I don't know any two workers who agree on everything. You know, Paul didn't agree with Barnabas and everything. Paul didn't agree with Silas on everything, but they worked together. And so that's a burden of mine. And that, that would be the biggest struggle is finding peers. And that's the key word there, peers who are willing to co-work. I, I appreciate even the way you talked about, as you were talking about co-working and, and just the ability to work with other pastors. Um, I appreciate something you said before in terms of just learning to let go. And I think especially on Mondays, there's this temptation that pastors have to carry. It could have been a great gathering. You could have seen some really cool stuff, whether you're in a house church or a regular gathering or whatever. And you see God really at work. But 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 what you take from the day was that one thing that went wrong or that one comment that the pastor, you know, that that somebody said. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, like, like what? What what wisdom would you have for that pastor who's who's really struggling to let go of that thing? There is built into the DNA of God's kingdom the cross. And I don't mean the the atoning death of Jesus. I mean the laying your life down, the letting go, the denying yourself. And I'm going to use one word that encapsulates what the cross means, and that is the willingness to lose. L-O-S-E, to lose rather than to win. And I have learned in my own life, this is going to sound completely contradictory, that when I go somewhere to speak, or if I'm asked to minister, or I have a counseling situation I have to handle, I go there to fail. I go there to fail because if I'm winning, Jesus Christ is not succeeding. And I am so dependent on the Lord but I know that if he doesn't come through, nothing's going to happen. Even if outwardly some, you know, looks good, 
And so I have learned to lose from the get-go. Even before I step onto a podium to speak, or I go and I meet with a person that, you know, is really in need, I have already lost in my own mind and heart. And now it's, Lord, if you don't come through, this isn't going to go anywhere. And basically, I put the whole burden on his shoulders. So it's kind of like, okay, here's the car. Here are the keys. I'm handing the keys to someone else. I let go of the keys because it's not my business anymore. And I give an illustration on how to do this in one of the chapters. I, I give an illustration of two bowlers and they're bowling. And one of them, as soon as the, the ball releases from his hand, he turns around and walks out of the building because it's not his business anymore. So just learning how to lose, going to fail, and then recognizing that it's God's business. And here's the contradictory part. Even as I am wired and, and have set my face as a flint to fail, I'm also saying this to the Lord. This is your business. I'm going to do my best, but I don't trust my best. I trust you. And that, to me, is the ingredient to see really, really big, amazing things happen. And you know what the consequence of that is? You don't have pride. You don't have arrogance, which gets back to the abusive thing. Those are the roots that create abusive leaders, pride and arrogance. It's confusing the paintbrush with the artist who uses the paintbrush. And so in this framework that I'm sharing, you recognize that you're just a marred, imperfect, almost dysfunctional paintbrush. And it's the responsibility of the hand of the great artist to be able to create a masterpiece, despite the fact that you're not a perfect paintbrush. And then all glory goes to the Lord, because you know it wasn't you. Well, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time just to share some of these thoughts. And yeah, again, I I, I think there's so much good to glean from, from the wisdom of this book. And I feel like for pastors who are just thinking about, you know, I'm in the fall, things are seeming like it's getting a little harder. I'm getting a little crispy around the edges. This seems like a real, a real breath of fresh air to pastors. And even I appreciate the practicality of it too. Um, so thank you so much. And I would love, we'd love to ask if you could leave us with a benediction or a blessing. Absolutely. Well, Lord, uh, you know, who's listening to this, you know, who will listen to it. And I just ask that you would take what has been shared here and penetrate the hearts, the minds, the emotions, the souls of every leader, every person whom you have called to your work, every person who is uh, struggling, who is, maybe they're struggling and they don't know they're struggling, but you would open their eyes and, and their hearts and speak to them and give them the necessary recipe that will bring them to the next step in your will. That's my prayer, Lord. Show them the next step and then give them the, uh, cause them to have the strength to take it and remove the obstacles that stand in the way for your glory alone. Amen.